0: Microsoft Story Classic bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. The Thorn in the Nest, Episode 2. Kenneth Clendenin, having completed his medical studies at Philadelphia, graduated with honor and afterwards spent a year in the hospitals there, was now about emigrating to Chillicothe, a town recently laid out by General Nathaniel Mossy, in what was then the Northwestern Territory, now the state of Ohio. None of his family were to accompany him, but he was to act as escort to two ladies, who with their children were also going thither to join their husbands. One of them had an, under her care a young orphan girl bound to the same place where she was to make her home with a married brother, Major Lamar. The Clendinen household were early astir on the morning succeeding the events related in the former chapter. Before the sun had peeped above the mountain tops, they were summoned to a savory and substantial breakfast. Prepared by old vashti, who had been a cook in the family since Kenneth's earliest recollection. He was the first to answer the call, coming in from a farewell tramp about the premises to find the faithful old lady, in the act of setting the last ditch, dish upon the table. "'I's done my best, honey,' she said to him with tears in her eyes. "'It most breaks dis so heart to tink. You won't eat no more dis child's cookin.' "'I don't know that, Aunt Bashtai, he responded, smiling. "'I'm not going quite out of the world.' Pears mighty like it, honey,' she said, then seeing his eyes wandering uneasily about the room and the porch beyond. "'You's lookin', man,' she whispered, coming close to his side. "'He was off to de woods with his gun for daylight. "'Spect he didn't want to say good "'Probably,' he answered with a slight sigh, then turned with an affectionate greeting to his mother and Marion, who entered the room at that instant.' They sat down at once to their repast, without the husband and father, no one remarking upon his absence or asking any questions in regard to it. The meal was, indeed, almost a silent one. The hearts were too full for much speech. Kenneth's saddlebags and portmanteau were in readiness, packed by the mother's loving hands, and Romeo stood pawing at the gate. Zeb's horse too was there tied to the fence nearby while its rider was eating his breakfast in the kitchen The travelers had no time for loitering for many miles of rough road must be passed over that day The audios were quickly spoken and the windings of the road soon hid master and servant from the view of the weeping disconsolate Marian and her sorrowful faced mother Kenneth's heart, too, was heavy, in spite of the cheerful air he had assumed for the sake of the dear ones. He was leaving behind, but Zeb seemed in fine spirits. He was young and light-hearted, had no relatives to leave, in fact, loved the doctor better than any other human being. And he was going to see the world, a prospect which thrilled him with delight. The sun was now shining brightly. Birds sang cheerily in the trees that bordered the roadside. The morning air was fresh and exhilarating, and Zeb's spirits rose high as he cantered along at a respectful distance behind, a mile away from Glen Forest, as the little, as the Clendenin place was called. They came out upon a cleared place where stood a little country church in the midst of an enclosure, whose grass-covered mounds. "'with here and there a stone slab "'proclaimed at the settler's last resting place. "'Here Kenneth drew rein, "'and calling to Zeb, "'bade him ride on to the crossroads, "'and there await his coming, "'and if their fellow travellers should arrive first, "'tell them he would join them in a few moments. "'Yes, I,' returned the lad, "'whipping up his horse while Kenneth dismounted "'and made his way to a spot "'where four or five little graves, "'and one somewhat longer,' Were arranged side by side giving only a glance at the others the young man turned to this last and stood for some moments gazing down upon it with a look of grave sad tenderness upon his noble manly face Angus Clinton aged 14 he murmured in low moved tones reading from the inscription on the headstone ah brother beloved why were you we so soon parted by grime death? We whose hearts were knit together as the hearts of David and Jonathan, but time pressed, and he must away. Plucking a valet from the sod that covered the sleeping dust and placing it carefully between the leaves of his notebook, he remounted and pursued his journey. As he reached the place of Rendezvaz, where Zeb, was lazily sunning himself, seated on a fallen tree, with his horse's bridle in his hand, three large wagons came toiling along the intersecting roads. Beside the foremost a graceful, girlish figure, tastefully attired in riding hat and habit, and mounted upon a beautiful and spirited pony, which she was managing with the utmost apparent ease and skill curbing its evident impatience to outstrip the slower and more clumsily built animals attached to the vehicles. At sight of Kenneth, however, she loosened her hold upon the rein, and came cantering briskly up with a gay, "Good morning, Dr. Clendenin.î The face that met his gaze was so fair and winsome, so bright with young, youthful animation, that the grave young doctor could not forbear a smile as he returned her greeting with courtly grace. Nellie Lamar's beauty was of a very delicate type, a sylph-like form, delicately molded features, a sweet innocent expression, complexion of lilies and roses, a profusion of pale golden hair, beautifully arched and penciled brows, large melting blue eyes, deeply, darkly, beautifully blue, and fringed with heavy silken lashes, many shades darker than the hair she was but fifteen, just out of school, and quite as gallant and innocent as she looked. A charming blush mantled her cheek as she caught the admiring glance of Ken's eye. So, so, fairy, be quiet, will you? she said, tightening her rein with one hand while bending low over her pony's neck. She softly patted and stroked it with the other. If those clumsy, slow-moving creatures would but travel faster, she exclaimed with Purdy, petulance lifting her head again and sending an impatient glance in the direction of the approaching wagons neither fairy nor i can well brook having to keep pace with them they are somewhat more heavily laden than she he said smilingly with some difficulty restraining the impetuosity of his own steed as he spoke she should have charity for them but I fear Romeo is disposed to join her in leaving them behind. We will leave the van, however, Miss Lamar, and sometimes indulge these restless in a run of a few miles ahead, if it is but to return again. Ah, that will be delightful, she cried, with almost childish vehemence. I have fairly dreaded the thought of traveling at this snail's pace all the way to Chili Coffee. The wagons had now come up, and from the foremost peered out two chubby, rosy boy faces. "'Oh, Dr. Clendenen, won't you take me up behind you?' shouted the owner of one, the other chiming in. "'Me too, doctor, me too! Hush, Tom, hush, Billy, you should not ask such a thing—' "'Doctor, don't mind them,' quickly interposed the mother, showing her cheery, matronly face alongside of theirs.' good morning mrs nash kenneth said moving to the side of the wagon we have an auspicious day for starting upon our long journey yes indeed doctor and how thankful i am that we're all well and so comfortably accommodated You don't seem to care at all for the old home scenes and friends we're leaving behind. Sarah whined a woman's voice from the second vehicle. But for my part, I shall never, never forget them. And I think it's dreadfully hard I should have to go away from them all into that howling wilderness. As one may say, and the voice was lost in a burst of sobs. But we're going to our husband's, Nancy. "'And they ought to be more to us than all the world beside,' returned Mrs. Nash cheerfully. "'Dear me, I am just as glad as can be to think that in a few weeks my Robert and I will be together again for good and all.' It was characteristic of the two who were sisters-in-law, the, other, the one always looking at the bright side of life, the other at the dark, the one counting up the, her mercies, the other her trials. "'It'll be a rough, hard journey, and some of us will be sure to get sick,' sighed Mrs. Barber. "'Flora's always been a delicate child, and I'll never take her there alive.' "'She's looking well,' remarked Kenneth, glancing in at the bright eyes and pink cheeks of a little girl sitting contentedly by Mrs. Barber's side. "'And we'll have the doctor handy all the way, you know,' suggested Mrs. Nash. "'Tom-Tom, be quiet, for the boy was still clamoring for a ride on Romeo.' So you you shall, Kenneth said, lifting him to the coveted place, and Billy, you shall have your turn another time. The third wagon carried no passenger, its load consisting of baggage, household stuff, a tent, and provision for the way, for there were few houses of entertainment on the route, and it would often be necessary to camp out for the night. The roads were new and rough, in many places in very bad condition. Sometimes there was a mere bridle path, and bushes and branches must be cut away, or fallen trees removed to allow the wagons to pass. At noon of this first day they halted on the banks of a bright little stream, dined upon such fare as they had brought with them, and rested for an hour or two, allowing their horses to graze, and the children to disport themselves in racing about through the underbush in search of wild flowers, in which Miss Nell presently joined them. Kenneth, leaving the two women, sitting together on a log, strolled away in another direction towards Zeb and the drivers, who were keeping guard over the horses and wagons. "'Dear me,' sighed Mrs. Barber, "'what a journey we have before us. How we're ever to stand it, I don't know. I'm tired already.' "'Already?' echoed her sister. "'Why, I don't intend to be really tired for a week.' I'd like to know what intentions have to do with it," returned the first speaker rather angrily. "'A good deal, I assure you,' asserted Mrs. Nash with decision. Make up your mind to be miserable, and you can't fail to be so. Resolve to enjoy yourself, and you're almost equally sure to do that." "'Humph!' grunted her companion, turning away with a scornful toss of the head. "'What's wrong?' asked Miss Lamar, coming toward them with her hands full of delicate spring blossoms. "'Wrong!' "'Where?' returned Mrs. Barber, sharply, thinking the query aimed at her. "'Yonder,' Nell answered, gazing anxiously in the direction of the group about the wagons. "'They all seem to be busying themselves about what that wheel.' "'There I knew it!' cried Mrs. Barber. "'Something's broken, and we'll be kept here all night, "'and we'll be having such accidents all the way. "'Nobody ever was so unfortunate as I am.' "'Why, you more than the rest of us?' asked her sister dryly if one is delayed we all are it was only a broken linchpin already replaced by another announced kenneth a few moments later and now if you please ladies we will go on our way again at dusk the party arrived at a lonely log cabin in the woods where they found shelter for the night fare and accommodations were none of the best the one consisting of fat pork hominy and coarse cornbread, the other of hastily improvised beds, upon the floor of the lower room for the women and children, upon that of the loft overhead for the men. Mrs. Barber, according to her wont, passed the time previous to retiring and fretting and complaining, talking of herself as the most ill-used and unfortunate of the human race, though no one else in the company was in any respect faring better than she, and all were not only bearing their discomforts with patience and resignation, but cheerfully and with an emotion of thankfulness that they had a roof over their heads, as a heavy rainstorm had come on shortly after their arrival, and continued till near morning. But that was another of the complainer's grievances. The roads would be flooded, the streams so swollen that it would be impossible to cross with the wagons. Now, hearing these doleful prognostications, turned an anxious inquiring look upon Kenneth "'Do you not be alarmed?' he said, leaning toward her, and speaking in an undertone of quiet assurance. "'The rain is much needed, and therefore a cause for thankfulness. And if streams cannot be forded immediately, we can encamp beside them, and wait for the baiting of the waters. But our for- provisions may give out,' she suggested. "'Then we will look for game in the woods, and fish in the streams. No fear, little lady, that we will not be fed.' Nell liked the title, and felt it restful to lean upon one who showed so much quiet confidence in. Was it his own powers and resources, or something higher? The journey was a tedious and trying one, occupying several weeks, and Kenneth's office as leader of the party was no sinecure. There were many vexatious delays, some occasioned by the wretched state of the roads, others incident to the moving of the Cumbrous and heavily laden wagons, which later might have been avoided had he traveled alone or in company with none but equestrians. But Kenneth was of too noble and unselfish a nature to grudge the cost of kindness to others, and on him fell all the care and responsibility of directing, controlling, and providing ways and means, settling disputes among the drivers, and attending to the safety and comfort of the women and children. These various duties were performed with the utmost fidelity, energy, and tact, and all annoyances borne with unvarying patience and cheerfulness. Even Mrs. Barber's peevish complainings and martyr-like airs, failing to move him out of his quiet self-possession, or goad him into treating her with anything but the greatest courtesy and kindness. He showed the same to all in the little company, and to those with whom they sought temporary lodgings here and there along the route, more especially to any who were sick, exercising his skill as a physician for their relief, and that without charge, though sometimes it cost him the loss of a much-needed night's rest. Mrs. Barbara was too completely wrapped up in herself and her own grievances, real or imaginary, to take note of these things beyond a passing feeling of wonder that Dr. Clendon should bestow so much attention upon people who were not likely ever to make him any return, but ere the journey's end they had won for him a very high place in the respect and esteem of the other adults of the party and in the hearts of the children. Nell, who was often sorely tried by these same vexations and delays, formed an unbounded admiration for Kenneth's powers of forbearance and self-control. She gave expression to it in talking with Mrs. Nash, as they found themselves alone for a few moments on the evening previous to their arrival at their destination. Yes, was the reply. I am astonished at his patience, particularly with Nancy. She exasperates me beyond everything. She is such a martyr. Yes, always, in all places, and under all circumstances. She's a martyr. Thank you for listening to another episode of Soft Story Classic.